3: And on the line with us is our old buddy Greg Palace, the investigative journalist, author, filmmaker, his most recent, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy. And he's got a new book out. His book is How Trump Stole the 2020 Election, if I'm recalling correctly. GregPallas.com is the website. Greg underscore Pallas is the Twitter handle. Hey, Greg, uh, do I have that right? Hey.
0: Yeah. How Trump Stole 2020. No, I don't have a crystal ball. It's like your final warning.
3: So how did Trump steal 2020?
0: Oh, boy. Well, the number one thing is that we have 17 million people who have been purged from the voter rolls in the past two years. This is their new game. You know, they simply just won't allow you to, to vote. We're talking about two-to-one Democrats. Basically, they did the test run of this steal when Brian Camp of Georgia... Stole the election from Stacey Abrams in Georgia in 2018. He did that by removing a half a million people illegally from the voter rolls. He said, oh, that's kind of nice. We're going to do that in Ohio. We're going to do that in Michigan, Wisconsin. And, in fact, uh, the battle in Wisconsin, the reason why people were forced to stand in line and basically do this dance of death was the GOP hopes of making sure they had a total lockup of the Wisconsin State Supreme Court, which has been ordering the purge of a quarter Million voters. This is two to one Democrats, overwhelmingly voters of color. Trump won Wisconsin by just supposedly 22,000 votes, Tom. If they knock off a quarter million progressives, they've got Wisconsin. They're doing the same game in Michigan, Ohio, all these swing states, North Carolina, and of course, Georgia, which should actually be a Democratic state. So that's the core of it. But also, now I'm really very, very concerned. Obviously, we're going to have to vote by mail. You're in Oregon where they actually force people to vote by mail, but they actually help people vote by mail. That ain't so in some of these swing states where they use vote by mail as kind of Jim Crow goes postal. And so I'm Hmm. very, very concerned about that. According to MIT study, 22% of all mail-in ballots never get counted. That's over a fifth, and it's overwhelmingly low-income voters. And the biggest problem, by the way, Tom, is that people don't get the ballots. Low-income people move apartments, students move dorm room to dorm room, young people move around. You don't have to re-register if you move in your neighborhood, but you won't get your ballot. You don't get it, can't vote it. By the way, uh, Senator Wyden of Oregon has a terrific bill, but good luck getting it passed. Mitch McConnell, which says that everyone not only gets a ballot, but you can download the ballot from the Internet. There's no reason why people can't download ballots. You can only vote once, as long as you're the sure, voter. Sure,
3: it's like IRS forms.
0: Yeah. So, in fact, the Republican Party in Wisconsin, because they lost that vote, they forced people—horrendous. People are literally going to die from that. From that vote, people lined up in Milwaukee. The Republican, Republican chairman now says, "Gee, he regrets that he didn't go to mail-in voting." Yeah. <laughs> we have to fix this system. But my book is called "How Trump Stole 2020." But it's not a projection. It's really a warning. We can switch this around. It's not about Trump. It's about democracy. Let's get everyone voting.
3: Greg, there's a couple of places in the Constitution, particularly in the 19th Amendment and in the Mm -hmm. 15th Amendment, I believe, where it explicitly references the right to vote. I've never been able to figure this out. The Supreme Court, I get it in Bush v. Gore. They said that Rehnquist wrote the opinion and he said there is no constitutional right to vote for president of the United States in the Constitution, or is to that effect. And of course, what he was talking about is the Electoral College. We don't actually elect the president. The Electoral College does. We elect electors. But that said, this right to vote that is repeatedly mentioned in the Constitution, that's explicitly mentioned in the 1993 Motor Voter Law, National yes. uh, Voter Registration Act, I believe it's called, mm-hmm. um, it says all Americans have a right to vote.
0: The National Voter Registration Act of 93 says voting is a fundamental right it's in federal law. Good luck right. enforcing it with the Kavanaugh Supreme Court. Good luck if you're in Georgia with with when you had Secretary of State Brian Kemp turn himself into Governor Brian Kemp. In Ohio, in Michigan, in Wisconsin, where you have elements who know. It's real simple, Tom, it's ugly, but the truth is there aren't enough white guys to elect Donald Trump and a Republican Senate and Congress. There just aren't. You have to look at the new demographics of America. They cannot win by letting everyone vote.
3: Yeah, white men are something like, what, 17% of the electorate?
0: It's gone way down, enough that they are, unless you steal votes, you prevent people from voting. As I said, 17 million people removed from the voter rolls. You have 22% of mail-in ballots not counted. But understand, things like ID laws, okay, who doesn't have a driver's license? Well, guess what? People who don't have cars. Who are they? Is that the rich who don't have cars? Basically. The country club set will always get their, their votes counted. We're talking about low income voters, students who move about. And by the way, the new target, as I talk about in my book, I have a chapter called Voting Gangnam Style, where there's a brand new attack on the Asian American voters because while they used to vote in the majority Republican, they now vote as if they've turned black. 75% of Asian Americans vote Democratic beginning in 2012. This scares them. They have to prevent people from voting. It's crazy. Well, if they're doing similar name matches,
3: yeah, you but, know, the Hispanic and the Asian communities are the easiest to take out. Those are the smallest names. Oh, people. yeah, so that's right.
0: So we have Chris Kobach and his cross-check system. The cross-check system was, a, was created by Chris Kobach of Kansas, or KKK, if you can't remember the name. And it was about saying people named Jose Garcia, named David Kim, are registered to vote in two states and therefore they are illegal voters remove them 1.1 million voters were removed named Garcia and Kim and Ron Rodriguez and Johnson an african-american name these names were removed because they said that they were that they're registered in two states illegally they didn't know about it they came in they lost their votes or they're forced to provisional ballots Tom we have three million provisional ballots cast in 2016 election one million were rejected that was hillary clinton's victory margin
3: amazing greg thanks a lot for dropping by great talking to you
0: You're the best
4: thanks Tom. thank you this is the tom hartman program
3: On the line with us is Mark Gamba. He is the mayor of Milwaukee, Oregon, which is a small town, kind of a suburb of Portland or part of Portland, arguably. He's a candidate for Congress for the 5th District from Oregon, which is currently occupied by uh, Representative Kurt Schrader. He's running in the primary against Representative Schrader. He's formerly a professional photojournalist for 30 years. His website, Mark Gamba, G-A-M-B-A dot com. And his Twitter handle is Mark underscore Gamba. Mark, welcome back to the program. Or Mayor Gamba, welcome back to the program. (laughs) Mark's fine. Thanks, Tom. It's great to be back on. Thank you for joining us. So we saw with this uh, very toxic congressman out of Illinois who just was successfully primaried by a progressive. And I think we just had Congressman Pocan on, and he, and he said that uh, while the party didn't support that institutionally, a lot of members of Congress did because they got how toxic this guy was. I don't think Kurt Schrader is that bad, but he's not a progressive at all. So I, I, I'm wondering how your campaign is going and, and how the coronavirus is changing how you and other people who are running, there's primaries all over the country right now, how other politicians who want to run in a primary are having to change what you're doing.
1: Yeah, it's a very different landscape, right? We can't knock doors. We can't hold house parties and live events, which had been really successful for us. So we've had to pivot to doing Zoom town halls and Zoom house parties and text banking and phone banking instead of door knocking. It's still going well, I think. We have a lot of folks that are fired up about this race. It does make it harder for us, for sure. He's got the reach that $3 million will give you. Of corporate money, but we are still fighting the good fight. I have more volunteers coming on all the time to help.
3: That's great, Congressman. You're the mayor of Milwaukee, Oregon, which is you know not an inconsequential town. What are the challenges that coronavirus is presenting to you, and what are you seeing down
1: the road? Well, all kinds of issues. Right, we got folks that are out of work that are going to be struggling to pay rent. Uh, we've been working with the governor to try and put rents on hold. The mayors were actually the ones that pushed Governor Brown to do the stay-at-home sooner and stronger than I think was going to happen otherwise, and it's been very successful for Oregon. But out of that, right, a lot of people have lost their jobs, and a lot of businesses are really struggling and may not be able to make it through this. The city is doing what we can. We've got a grant program where we're giving small businesses $5,000 a piece if they qualify. And up to a certain number, we don't have an unlimited supply of funds for that. But we know that coming out of this, there's going to be a lot of people hurting, both small businesses and employees. And I actually think that the absolute best way for America to come out of this is to kill two birds with one stone and pass the Green New Deal. Right? We put millions of people to work with good, family wage jobs, solving the even bigger problem of climate change, that will kickstart the economy a whole lot faster and a whole lot more effectively than giving a bunch of tax breaks to billionaires. That's what I'm pushing for at the federal level. And the city, Milwaukee, is doing everything it can to help its small businesses and the folks that live there. We're talking
3: with Mark Gamba. He's running in the Democratic primary here in Oregon against uh, Representative Kurt Schrader. When is our primary, by the way? May 19th. May 19th, thank you very much. So, one of the things that differentiates towns, counties, and states from the federal government is that the federal government can basically print money and can easily borrow money by selling treasuries because there's just continuous demand for treasuries. I noticed a few weeks ago, I haven't looked since then, but uh, I noticed a few weeks ago that some of the uh, ETFs that were uh, bond funds that were municipal bonds and state bonds were really starting to sink because people were concerned that towns may end up going bankrupt because they're losing tax revenue. You were just talking about how many businesses in Milwaukee may end up going under and you guys are trying to pump money out to them. But at what point, how do you finance that if your tax base is disintegrating and you're having to pay higher and higher interest rates in order
1: to float bonds? The issue that Oregon has, which typically is, is a problem is that virtually, I forget the actual percentage, but something like 70% of our funding for running a city comes from property taxes. Property taxes will probably go down a little bit as far as collections go, if they're not going to go down, they probably won't go up to three percent. We need them to go up to keep pace with the cost of everything else. But we're not going to take as hard a hit as cities in other states that are dependent on sales tax. Uh, we do collect a little bit of a fee from our businesses, but it's an annual thing and it's not—it's really not a big portion of our budget. Where we're getting hurt hardest right now is, is actually Interestingly, our water use has gone down because a significant portion of our water use is industrial. A lot of people don't know this, but Milwaukee is a pretty industrial town, and so we have some industrial uses of water. So when that, that's taking a pretty big nick out of our water fund. So we're going to have to do some work, but I don't think Milwaukee is anywhere near going bankrupt. Uh, we yeah. have been running our, our city without credit predominantly very well, and I think we'll be fine. Yeah.
3: I know you're a thoughtful guy and good administrator and a good mayor. I'm talking with Mark Gamba, he's the mayor of Milwaukee, Oregon. He's running against Representative Kurt Schrader in the primary for Oregon's 5th District, which is right down the road for me. It's a southern part of Portland and beyond. Mark, you know, running as a progressive, Green New Deal, for example, you mentioned that as one of the things that you've been focused on. I know you've been focused on that for a long time. But even if it passed tomorrow morning, you're not going to have a lot of people out doing construction because we're still social distancing. What is the midpoint? What are the other progressive policies that we need to consider putting into place right away that don't require people getting together? I mean, I'm assuming things like, you know, Medicare for all, doing away with college student debt, things like that. What are the things that are at the top of your list? if you were a member of Congress?
1: Well, Medicare for all, absolutely. If we had a universal health care system when this pandemic started, we would be in a whole lot better shape. We would have more doctors, we'd have more nurses, we'd have more ICU units, even more hospitals. They have been closing rural hospitals for years because they're not profitable, in air quotes. The system we have right now is designed to serve roughly 50 to 80% of the population, depending on whose numbers you use. And it's right-sized, again, with the air quotes. So that means that it is not literally designed to serve the entire population. So when you have a giant influx of healthcare needs like we do right now, the system is not right-sized for it. With a universal healthcare system, not only would we have more doctors, more nurses, and all those things, we would also have somebody whose job it was to be thinking about the healthcare of the nation writ large.
3: Yeah, which would be a good thing. Mark Gamba, the mayor of Milwaukee, Oregon, running for Congress in the uh, the May primary here in Oregon for the 5th District. His website, MarkGamba, G-A-M-B-A dot com. And you can tweet him at Mark underscore Gamba. Mark, thanks so much for being with us.
1: Thank you so much, Tom. Stay safe.
3: Yeah, great talking with you. So we are number one, right? We're number one in the world. Over a half a million coronavirus cases. We're number one in deaths. People dead in the United States as a result of Trump dithering for months. But we have, we're number one, 21,000. If you go down the list, Germany has 2,900. They've got extensive testing. They're even doing uh, antibody testing all across Germany right now. I mentioned a friend of mine, a German friend of mine, is in the German hospital right now. They're doing antibody testing when you come into the hospital. The Netherlands has, uh, you know, 2,800 cases. I mean, it's just, we have 21,900 cases, almost 22,000 cases. So how does Donald Trump run for re-election over the corpses of what will probably be 50,000, 60,000 dead Americans by the time November comes along? and perhaps many more than that, particularly if he tries to reopen the country. And that's and that's the thing. I mean, obviously, first of all, there's the thing that Trump can't reopen the country. The governors have to do it, which is why yesterday he said, I'm going to speak to every single governor individually and let them individually work You know, w- with my plan. He's basically trying to take credit for something that he's not going to do. But at the same time, he's got this problem with blame. How does he shift the blame? Because if he starts opening the country back up, or if he starts jawboning you know, Republican governors and they start opening their states back up, and you got eight of them right now that are still wide open, but you know that crap is going to hit the fan very soon. But how does he place the blame on somebody else? We got the clue. Now I did not watch this but I read about it in the paper which I think you know just for your mental health right anything Trump says that is of any consequence whatsoever in these briefings you can read in the newspaper and this this is in the Washington Post Phil Rucker writing about it well yesterday Trump read the names of 200 business executives now why would he do that why would he say these 200 people are advising me on how to open the country. This is our Open the Country panel. Why would he do that? Well, here, let me just share with you, you know, this is from the Washington Post, Phil Rucker's piece. The debate this week has been over how to implement the return to work, what data could be used to justify the decision, and how to build public support for it to provide the president maximum political cover according to one senior administration official who did not want to be quoted and a second person who had been briefed on this. Trump's advisors, Phil Rucker writes, are trying to shield the president from political accountability should his move to reopen the economy prove premature and result in lost lives. So they are trying to mobilize business executives to buy into this plan so that if it does not work, The blame can be shared broadly, according to two former administration officials familiar with the efforts. So let me just speak for a moment to the billionaires, millionaires, multibillionaires, and CEOs whose names Donald Trump read yesterday. You guys are the suckers. You guys are the ones who are going to get stuck holding the short straw. You guys are the ones Donald Trump is going to be reading that list of 200 names again in November when he's running for president. And there's 50, 60, 100, 200,000 dead Americans as a result of his incompetence, his failure to do testing, his failure to do planning, his failure to acquire PPE and other things like that, ventilators, his willingness during January and February to ship tons of PPP, PPE and ventilators and other equipment overseas. We actually have been shipping this stuff all around the world throughout January and February, depleting our own stocks. His stealing it from governors. I got a story on that we'll get to uh, you know in the third hour of our program today. So when all of that stuff hits the fan, Donald Trump is going to be going, well, you know, uh, b- b- Tim Cook of Apple told me to do it. I mean, get ready, guys. Donald Trump has just put you in the crosshairs. Donald Trump never takes responsibility for anything. He never has his whole entire life. He either finds somebody to scapegoat, like he's trying to scapegoat the World Health Organization right now for his own damn failures. That was the other point of his White House rally. And let's start calling them White House rallies because that's what they are. In addition to announcing his sucker list, was also, well, it's not my fault that people are dead in the United States. That's the fault of the World Health Organization. We're not going to give them any more money. This is what Donald Trump does. This is what he's done his whole entire life. And by the way, it's what the Republican Party has been doing for decades. To the Tom Hartman program. Only they've been blaming their failures on black people, on immigrants, on Hispanics, on gay people, on, you know, anybody but them.
5: Delve into the shadows of the mind
6: Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
3: Susan in Hood River, Oregon. Hey Susan, what's on your mind today?
7: weeks ago
0: i caught the tail end of you saying that you didn't think that amy klobuchar would be a good running mate for
7: biden and i was wondering why you think that and if not her which woman do you think would be the best
3: i think the best woman to be his running mate is in in terms of ideology and electability and and whatnot is probably elizabeth warren i love Stacey abrams she has never run in a national campaign and I'm not certain there. But Kamala Harris is really good, but she's got some putting people in jail skeletons in her closet, as it were. The reason that I object to Amy Klobuchar is because she's a Bill Clinton neoliberal. And what we need is a progressive. She is definitely not a progressive. She wouldn't call herself a progressive, or if she does, she doesn't you know, really mean it. Although maybe she's having a come-to-Jesus moment like so many Democrats are right now around all this. By the way, there was just a poll done that was published, I think it was published over on Daily Kos this morning, that showed that among the American public, the person who is most popular to be Joe Biden's vice presidential running mate right now is Elizabeth Warren. I think that she would bring the progressives, he's gonna bring along the corporate Democrats and the so-called middle of the road Democrats and the independents. And I think between the two of them that that would be a very, very strong ticket. Stephen in Kula, Hawaii. Hey Stephen, what's on your mind today? Tom, um, as much as I'd like to see Elizabeth Warren as the vice presidential nominee, the
8: only problem, as I see it, is the governor of Massachusetts who would appoint for a replacement is unfortunately a Republican, and we can't afford to lose a reliable Democratic seat in the Senate. We need to take over the Senate, so I think it's
3: unfortunate. But that... Congress reconvenes right after the first of the year. I forget the date, but I think it's the first week after the uh, new year the new Congress starts, the president doesn't get sworn in until January 20th. It used to be March 3rd, and they moved it back to January 20th after the Great Depression. So it might be conceivable, and maybe I'm wrong about this, and if somebody, you know, if my logic is all wrong here, somebody please correct me. You included, Stephen. If Elizabeth Warren did not give up her seat in the Senate, she would not lose that seat until January 20th. January 20th is... After the new governor of Massachusetts would be sworn in, it, well, actually, I don't know. I don't know if that governor is up for re-election in this election cycle. Do you know, Stephen?
8: I don't think so, because Deval Patrick was the the governor, and I think uh, this new guy, Charlie Baker, have, was just elected recently. So he would appoint. Yeah, but, he would appoint. But I don't know
3: if it's a two-year thing or a four-year thing. That's something to look into, and you know, and I've heard that objection before. My guess is that this election for the Senate is not going to be tight. You've got all these, you know, the, the Cory Gardner's of the world, the Martha McSally's. They're starting to poll really, really, really badly. Uh, Susan Collins in Maine, they're all underwater. They cast their lot with Trump, and Trump has screwed up so badly and is, is held in such disrepute that I'm guessing that even if a Republican got appointed to that seat in Massachusetts, first of all, they would only hold it until the next election. And secondly, they would not affect the ability of the Democrats to have a majority. I think it's going to be a route. And I think that it's important that there be a good vice president. Daily Kos is reporting now the two top people, and this is kind of apropos of what I was saying earlier, in the polling for the vice presidential pick are Elizabeth Warren and Stacey Abrams respectively. I would be very happy with either one of them. I, you know, I think that we should be encouraging that. Stephen, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. Mayor in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Hey, Mayor, what's on your mind today?
7: I'm hearing people say, why doesn't Elizabeth Warren apologize or address the fact that Joe Biden has sexual abuse allegations against him, And the same people. He doesn't have allegations. He has
3: allegation. One allegation. Yeah, from a woman who previously went on on television and claimed that she was Vladimir Putin's lover.
7: Okay. The point is, you know, uh, people are saying, "Oh, why doesn't Elizabeth Warren address this?" But they're not saying the same thing. Like, why doesn't Bernie address this? Because he also endorsed Biden. There's this uneven. There, can you explain to me, let me put it as a question, can you explain to me why certain Bernie supporters have been so negative toward Warren? Can you explain that to me?
3: I can't, Mayor, and, you know, my best guess would probably be something that would not reflect well on them, and so I'm not going to. I You know, again, back to my thing of, you know, not trashing people who aren't here to defend themselves. Mayor, thanks for the call george in uh, garden city kansas watching us on free speech tv hey george what's up
4: i know stephanie grisham was the old press secretary now she's doing something else never had one press conference i don't know how much she made on that for doing nothing like most republicans but i don't even know who the new press secretary is and they haven't had a, a press conference so i wonder how much they're making
3: Uh, The new one's name is, as I recall, Kyla McEnany or something like that. It's it's close to that. And she is a right-wing commentator on Fox News who is right now aggressively attacking Democrats using the social media arm of the White House. Grisham has gone back to the job she held before she became the White House spokesperson, which was or head of the press office or whatever you call it, uh, which has been the chief of staff to Melania help her pick out uh, which I don't really care jacket she's going to wear today or that kind of thing. So uh, <laughs> well, there's there's some good coverage of this yeah. over at dailycos.com, D-A-I-L-Y-K-O-S.com. Huh, uh, okay. know, I recommend you check it out.
4: we got a blue governor now and a red state. I don't know how that's going to work in November, but I hope it keeps going that way. So thanks, Tom.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, George. Good to hear from you. Jeremiah in, uh, what is that? Coalport, Pennsylvania. Hey, Jeremiah, what's on your mind today?
4: Now, I was disappointed when Bernie didn't get the nomination, but I'm going go, I'm going to vote for Biden. But I'm seeing on message boards and a bunch of Bernie supporters just say that they can't vote for Biden. So I was wondering if you had any idea, number one, how many uh, Bernie supporters we could potentially lose? And number two, why don't Republicans have this problem? you know, all their voters get in line behind whoever the nominee is, yet right. for some reason every time we have this uh, schism where we bicker back and forth and then some people break off, vote green, or don't show up. Why do we have this problem? Well, Republicans actually we do, do have about this
3: it? problem. Yeah, Republicans do have the same, the same problem of, you know, people who are disaffected or disenchanted just not showing up to vote or, you know, voting third party or whatever. But I think that this phenomena of Bernie supporters refusing to vote for Biden is wildly exaggerated. You know, I've been watching on Twitter and probably nine out of 10 of the people who tweet at me about, you know, I'm never going to vote for Biden because, you know, this, that, or the other thing. He did this back in 1975 or back in 1986 or back in 2005, whatever the hell it is that they're, you know, whining and complaining about. You look at their profile and, you know, they've been a member for six months or at the most they've been a member for five years, which means they came in during the last election cycle and, you know, they've got like 22 people following them. I'm pretty sure that these are bots, they're trolls, they may be foreign bots and trolls. I think the whole phenomena is wildly exaggerated. I've gotten one call since Bernie tossed in the rag or whatever the, you know, since Bernie endorsed Joe Biden. I've gotten one call from somebody saying, I'm not going to vote for for Biden. And I'm not sure that that person wasn't a right wing troll because he'd never called this show before. And so, you know, may well have been a Republican. That's the message that they're spreading out there. So, you know, don't worry, Jeremiah. I think it's going to be fine. Evan in Kingston, Georgia. Hey, Evan, what's up?
7: For two weeks so far, owned a billion postcards sent to POTUS. You can order the cards through your carrier, and I have bought 70 of them. They're cheap, Mm. 39 cents each. And uh, I want to hit the news, piss them off, and this also will help the post office. And on the card... Go ahead. On, on the card, send it to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue Northwest, Washington D.C. 20500 to POTUS. And on the back, it says, "We the people say you are unpresidential." Dot dot dot. You're and in enlarged letters, fired. Three exclamation hmm. points.
3: Taking a cue from the old Apprentice show. Yeah it's, yeah, it's perfect. It's, that's perfect, Yvonne. I, you know, All right, well, I, I want to
7: send a billion of them. Let's get them there so it'll have to hit the news. But I think he's been getting my cards already. I think that has a little to do with his snotty attitude.
3: Could be. It could be. So, uh, yeah, you can, and you can also buy those online, by the way, at USPS, United States Postal Service, USPS.gov. So Yvonne, that's great. Thank you for sharing that story with us. I love it. John, in Medford, Oregon. Hey, John, what's up?
4: I called you about three years ago, and I think it was right after Trump was inaugurated. And I made the point that Democrats tend to win pretty much everything. We get more votes for the House. We get more votes for our Senate candidates, if you put it all together. And now we win the popular vote. I think we've won the popular vote for the presidency five out of the last six elections. And yet right. the Supreme Court is controlled by Republicans. The government's basically controlled by them. And my question to you at the time, or my comment was, you know, how long should Democrats continue to play this game that's basically rigged against us every time? And you were pretty fairly dismissive and talked about... Yeah, what's your alternative? And,
3: Move to Mexico?
4: No, I don't know. i am just... I. Let me let me finish, and then I'll get. Present me right. with an
3: alternative, John, and and you know I'd seriously consider it. But I, we have not had ever in the history of the United States a third party candidate successfully run for president. I don't think we've had more than three or four times in the history of the United States a third party candidate successfully run for governor. I think Jesse Ventura was the last one who did it, and he only lasted one term. I, so I'm as I recall, maybe was third, two, i I'm not talking about a, a third party. I, so what's just, the alternative? I. I don't know. John, my suggestion is that progressives need to take over the Democratic Party so that the American people, by and large, realize that that the Democratic Party can be progressive and can do what they want. Keep in mind, Donald Trump campaigned on basically democratic principles. He said, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna you know, impose tariffs to bring jobs back to the United States. Democrats have been saying that forever. It was Reagan and Bush who wrote NAFTA, even though Clinton signed it. It was Reagan and Bush who, who wrote it, number one. Number two, uh, Trump said, I'm gonna do away with Obamacare and I'm gonna replace it with a program that's gonna cover everybody in the country and it's gonna cost less than Obamacare. That's Medicare for all. And Trump, you know, he was lying through his teeth, but he campaigned on that. He said he was going to strengthen Social Security, Medicare, and, and the rights of unions. He lied about all these things, but he campaigned as a progressive Democrat. The real progressives need to take over the Democratic Party, which we're really moving quickly to do. And if you look at how Joe Biden is changing his positions, it's making your head spin. It's great. You're listening
4: to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives.
3: So, yeah, Democrats need to stay in the game, but progressives need to get in the game in a big way right now, immediately. Mike in Lameda, California. Hey, Mike, thanks for listening to KPFK. What's up?
8: Uh, The reason I'm calling is I just want to give a transcontinental salute to our heroes, to our new greatest generation, and that is the voters of Wisconsin, who, when threatened with Mm -hmm. with death, if they voted, turned up to preserve democracy. Uh, and yes. like to contrast that with the Supreme Court Justice Quisling, who uh, gave them that fate and uh, then opted for uh, teleconferencing for doing his own work. So uh, sort of a contrast. Right, John in- Roberts.
3: And also, by the way, Mike, every single member of the uh, Supreme Court of Wisconsin Uh, voted by mail every single one of them including all the republicans who voted for this thing and those republicans typically vote in person back to you
8: well the nice thing about a federal system is when i say chief justice Quisling, it applies both to the federal and the state supreme courts but in any event uh, i don't think by the way that we're going to be able to go back to normal until we have widespread rapid result testing for coronavirus, and uh, that's not likely to occur from uh, any outstanding federal leadership, given what we've got. And uh, I'm cautioning everyone that this is a world of surprises, and I don't particularly count strongly on seeing a, uh, what's his name, Trump versus Biden election. In November, I think uh, there may be a-, a change. There may be people in the Republican Party, at least, who decide that Trump is too big a liability to take into the election.
3: You know, <sighs> we'll see i mean this is a conversation we're going to have to revisit in june or july after all the republican primaries are over assuming that they actually happen and uh because i think that there's a number of republican members of congress and 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 particularly of the senate who are totally dancing to trump's tune right now because they're trying to fend off a primary challenger from the right and once those primaries are over assuming that they make it through the primaries uh, they may find their conscience and they may find their voice. I'm, I'm not holding my breath, but, you know, I think that's possible.
8: And I think there may be something more behind the scenes going on, given that uh, the Republican Party than in, out front. Do you have any evidence uh, of that? No, just my sense. You know, when they made me go to college, uh, I was put in a room with a compulsive liar. And he had everyone in the dorm snowed for a while. But then once they found out what he was,
3: oh, there was such a backlash against this guy. Right. There you go. From your lips to God's ears, Mike. Thanks a lot for the call. The governor of Massachusetts during a press conference choked up. Now, again, Charlie Baker is a Republican, but he is doing contact tracing in Massachusetts. You know, Massachusetts seems to like to elect liberal Republicans. There's still a few of them left, I guess. But he was choking up when he was describing his best friend's mother's death from coronavirus. Dawn in Minneapolis. Hey, Dawn, what's on your mind today?
9: Well, I wanted to call to give a little insight on the PPP, the Payment Protection Program that has mm-hmm. just been launched this week. We got a pre- well, it ran day. out of money today, by the way. Well, we've been in queue for weeks. We have a really great local banker, Northeast Bank in Minneapolis, an amazing community bank. They've been helping us. I know they have our interest at our heart, you know, we trust our banker, but the deal that we got handed down is so disgraceful that we're not going to accept any of the money so they can have 100000 of their money back because it is, it Whoa, is between a rock deal? and a hard place for us. So I'm not sure if you're listening to know. The, tell me the story. Well, of this loan, 25% of it has to be used for utilities or rent, okay? And 75% of it has to go to your payroll costs. So we understand that it's all about getting people off unemployment and keeping everybody working and all of that. And that's all well and good. However, the problems are twofold. One is it's so strictly regulated, the funds that you can pay out of this money, that we can't pay just normal operating costs. We can't pay our vendors. We can't pay for food. We can't pay any other loan uh, balances or payments out of that. Otherwise, we'll be charged with fraud. Okay? It can only go to utilities. It can only go to rent. Fine. Seventy-five percent goes to your employees. Well, the caveat of this is on June 30th, we have to bring back our average monthly payroll in full on June 30th, or we have to pay all the money back within two years. So for us, our average monthly payroll is $40,000 a month. I have zero work, Tom. I'm a catering company. So, what would Mm -hmm. you do? Would you go a hundred thousand in debt and then have to come back and pay forty thousand dollars of payroll? All of our workers, like it's just a normal month. Like, like you know, June is a huge wedding month. It's a big month for us. We're Mm -hmm. walking away. Yeah, and we're going to cut our losses. Yeah, I get it. We're going to try to keep the lights on without any employees.
3: We have a small business that does this show, you know, with a half a dozen more or less employees and we had to lay off one part-time person and I've stopped taking any pay. You know, the guy in New York who kind of runs our, the business end of our business has stopped taking any pay. And we may do that for years, I, I have no idea, you know, because our advertising revenue has collapsed and, and I'm guessing that the fundraising drive from Free Speech TV, which kicks a little bit of money towards us, is going to collapse too. But we'll make it through. I can live for, you know, without an income, I'm on Social Security. But the way that the countries in Europe are doing this is they're saying, here's a gift, a grant uh, for it depends on the country. It's ninety percent of your pay, I believe even denmark, eighty five percent in Germany. I think it's eighty or eighty five percent in France. Um, I think it's norway is is uh, higher than ninety percent. I don't remember the exact amounts. These are all from memory, but they're in that range. And Basically, what they're saying to employers is, we realize you, your employees are not working. You have, you know, they're home, right? They're doing absolutely nothing for you. But it's easier, cheaper, and more convenient for the government to give you the money and you pay your payroll. And that's a gift and it's gone forever. The government will absorb that cost than it is for those people to be laid off and then apply for unemployment and then we've got to process that through a completely different unemployment system and then those people may or may not be able to come back to work and blah de blah, blah blah so these countries are not experiencing massive unemployment because their people are still employed and they're still getting their checks and that becomes, a, you know, super important here in the United States where a third of Americans get their health insurance from their employer. And, you know, if we were using the, the European system, people like you, Dawn, would be able to not only continue paying your employees, but also continue paying for their benefits, and you would never have to pay back a penny of it. It's nuts that they're doing this as a loan. It's absolutely nuts. And, you know, we, uh, we talked about, you know, should we look into this program and very, very quickly decided, no, we're not going to do that. For some of the reasons that you're talking about, this is just so wrong, Don, thank you for uh, for the call and for alerting us to what's going on. Alan in Cedar City, Utah, hey Alan, what's on your mind?
0: Hi Tom,
4: you know, after what you just talked about, it's so upsetting the the stimulus and relief programs. It's hard to talk about what I called for but uh but anyway, yeah. to give you an update here in Utah, things don't seem to be too bad from my perspective. most people are being respectful about social distancing in the grocery stores. You know, there's some high school kids out playing soccer games and some people that seem to have a kind of a, a cruddy attitude that won't keep their distance. And, um, the governor, I think, is not a liberal Republican, but he seems to be handling things responsibly Try not to be really restrictive in rural areas where might not be as important
3: as it is in urban areas like Salt Lake or up by Park City where they had a lot of resort traffic mm-hmm. earlier. Do you think that I'd like you to tell me about the legislature in just a second? But do you think that because Utah has, uh, I believe, it's a, a, a significant majority population of Mormons, if not a, a huge consequential minority population, and basically the you know the Mormon Church kind of controls the, the the government or has a huge influence on the government in Utah? And the Mormon Church has famously, I mean, you know, through the decades, you can think that Joseph Smith and his whole thing about the angels and the plates and all that stuff is just total, you know, bat guano crazy. But the Mormon Church has always emphasized family and community. And that that set of values—I mean, that's really a, a relatively progressive set of values—that that set of values is what is animating or informing the government actions in Utah. That might not be the kind of cruel, raw capitalism that you're seeing in other states, or we don't care about the people in other states.
4: I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, there's the community thing on one of your previous shows. some of the callers said that assistance that the church gives unemployed people and stuff comes with a lot of strings attached and. Actually, it varies from congregation to congregation, but it's it's somewhat better than what he described from what I've seen. But
7: but yes, sure.
4: that's part of it, and there's a lot of doctors. I mean, the president of the church right now is an eminent surgeon, and they're consulting the experts and trying to base decisions that the church makes in recommending what the members do. They're trying to base it on real medical expertise. and. And the church does have more influence on the legislature. So, you were going to tell me me about the legislature, Adam Yeah, Yeah, well, as far as I can see, they're just trying to clarify the legal basis for enforcing. They, They haven't been like citing and fining people much at all and there hasn't been much of a need to but i think they're just trying it may even be in response to what the president's saying about i have total authority over everything and they're trying to kind of lay down a marker in case there are lawsuits and stuff i can't tell for sure but a lot of people are regarding it as a big government power Mm -hmm. grab and so
3: you know it's kind of that's kind of messy the politics of it yeah it sounds like it it it, it sounds All kind of stuff, but you're not seeing the eruptions like they're seeing in Michigan, where people are out waving Confederate flags and saying "Don't tread on me." No, not so far. I'd say not, not nothing like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good news, Alan. Thank you for the call and thanks for the heads up. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. Uh, You know, we're we're seeing this play out in different parts of the country in different ways, and it's kind of revealing the character of our nation and our regions. Tom Hartman. Visit Tom Hartman.com for audio
4: and video archives.
3: I mean, California Governor Gavin Newsom has said we're going to have a $75 million fund, and another report says $150 million, to give $500 to every undocumented immigrant in the state. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees' distribution and borrowing, everything costs more. randy in madison wisconsin Hey, randy what's on your mind today
8: i wasn't able to hear your interview with a psychiatrist unfortunately but i think democrats have to take a page from winston churchill early in the war well before pearl harbor he established a small cadre of psychiatrists and gave them access to all the information they had so they could remotely psychoanalyze Hitler. When you hear that, you realize, I don't know how well that uh, turned out, but it's a great idea. And I think Democrats have to do the same thing with Trump. Uh, Churchill understood that uh, Hitler was a sick puppy, and we all know that Trump is in the forces of a lot of demons he cannot control. At least if we do something like that,
3: we can predict things. We'll be so been, shocked by uh, everything he does. It's been 35 years since I lived in Germany and and was doing a deep dive into William Shirer and other books on the, on the history of World War II. But my recollection, and I again, let me qualify this heavily because I may be wrong. I'm trying to do something with a 30-year-old memory here. But my recollection is that one of the things that those, I know that uh, Churchill did assemble psycho- psychologists to, uh, to, to psychoanalyze Hitler and come up with a strategy to hurt Hitler psychologically. And I believe that what they came up with, one of the things that they came up with was to widely publicize the story, whether it was true or not. I don't honestly uh, know or recall that Hitler only had one testicle and was impotent. And you know, the, that was widely distributed. That information was widely distributed um, uh, across Germany vi- via the, uh, uh, the, you know, the British equivalent of Radio for Europe and, uh, you know, to humiliate and enrage Hitler to cause him to behave uh, in intemperate fashion. And uh, I don't know if, if what's-her-name, Stormy Daniels talking about mushrooms uh, has done it to Trump, but good point, Randy, good point. The Democrats should get a shrink to work on Trump. Steve in Washington. Hey, Steve, what's up?
4: Okay, I got a postcard addressed to postal customer that reads, President Trump's coronavirus guidelines
3: for America... This right, is, those went out a week or so ago, yeah. This
4: looks more like campaign literature than a warning to... Uh, that's what it is?
3: <laughs> well, I mean, it's paid for so with your tax dollars, that, right? But that's what it is. Yeah, well, it's really inappropriate. The. Do you have that card in front of you, you, Steve? Absolutely. Look on the address side and look in the upper right-hand corner. Does it say you know, postage paid, or is there the president's Postage fees paid, USPS permit number G10. Okay. Well, that's good news, actually. That means they didn't use franking to send that letter out. They actually paid for it with your tax dollars. But the post office actually got some benefit from it. But we talked about those the week before last, actually, I think when they first went out. In fact, the point that I made was I remember back in 2001, uh, or maybe it was early 2002, when Bernie Sanders shamed the Republicans and said, if you're going to do a massive, it was, you know, this giant bailout bill after 9-11 because the economy was in the tank. And Bernie Sanders says, if you're going to do a giant bailout bill for the big corporations and the billionaires, at least give 300 bucks to everybody in the country, right? You know, you get a stimulus Mm -hmm. check. And that $300 check came along with a little letter that said, George W. Bush is very happy to give you this $300. No mention of Bernie at all. Bush had opposed it. The Republicans had opposed it. But Bernie finally humiliated them to the point where they pretty much had to do it. And this is the same thing. This is just another opportunity for a Republican president to put his name in front of everybody using the mail. And the mail, of course, also, um, you know, if you are a registered voter, you're far more likely to get your mail every day than if you're not, because, you know, people who move a lot or people who are not registered to vote, they're less likely to have, you know, good, consistent, solid, reliable mail service. So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it should not surprise us that Trump is doing the same thing every night on television. You know, he's using, he's using the White House. Literally, he's getting a couple hundred million dollars a day worth of free television time. And I guess the good thing from our point of view is that he's so incompetent and so psychopathic that it is actually in some areas hurting him. But which should be cold comfort, because if the next Republican president is just a little bit smarter and a little less psychotic than Donald Trump, and they use the same techniques that Donald Trump is using, we will end up an oligarchy or even worse, a a tyrannical dictatorship. The power of government will be turned on us. And just like Trump is talking right now about turning the power of government on the states, on the Democratic governors. It's an amazing time. It's just an absolutely amazing time. Zoe in Louisville, Kentucky. Hey, Zoe, thanks for watching YouTube. What's up?
10: Well, we did get a little little something like that protest that you were describing up in, was it Michigan yesterday? We did. Mm -hmm. There was a group of Mm -hmm. people that timed their protest to be right at its, I don't know, most fervent, noisy peak right during the governor's five o'clock press conference yesterday so he has a press conference every day at five o'clock fortunately and this is Mm -hmm. this is a i don't get to do this very often but i get to brag about my elected official from kentucky and that is um that is our governor andy beshear because he's doing a bang-up job but they made sure that they were noisy enough and timed well enough to completely interrupt the press conference and he was literally sitting there talking about how many people were sick how many people were in icu and how many people had died and and i i'm pretty sure uh that that i heard a shofar at one point so i mean it was they just you know they Mm. were doing anything they could to sort of interrupt everything but there were only like 60 75 people of course they all had masks on but they were all nice and close together Um, there were signs that said things like King Bashir. Uh, of course they had the don't tread on me flags. I I don't know if I ever saw a a Confederate flag, but quite positive that some of those ding dongs had one of those out there. Um, but I did not see those, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, of course they were going on about herd immunity and, you know, this is just another one of these gaslight projects that's out there to try and drown out the people that are being nonpartisan and clear-headed and using the science to uh, to to determine what it is they need to decide to do that's in the best interest of their people
3: i would say it goes beyond that joe i think that what we're Mm -hmm. looking at is right-wing ideologues who believe that the government actually should not have any role in the life of the nation outside of running the army Um, these Mm -hmm. so-called libertarians and now they've basically taken over the republican party and, yeah. you know, it's being funded and fueled by billionaires who don't want to pay federal income taxes, that totally they're using up. this as a, essentially a recruiting tool, yeah. just like they used Obamacare. How, how dare a, a black president tell us, you know, the white people out here in Michigan and Kansas and, and Kentucky that we have to have health insurance. Yeah. How dare he? And they oh. took it to the Supreme Court. Oh, and the Supreme yeah. Court said, no, you don't have to pay the fine if you don't have it. I mean, you know, this is mm-hmm. this is just recruiting, I think, by right-wing crazies.
10: Sure. And I mean, the uh, the, the right wing crazies that were in charge of this, um, one of them was a representative in the um, in the House. Her name is Savannah Maddox. She introduced a bill a while back that got uh, that got voted down. But it was uh, going to allow anyone, any business owner to sue the governor directly for closing their business as a result of you know whatever the governor determines in this case it's a pandemic um but it but the uh the woman who who uh who was sort of the i guess you could call her the astroturf she was the uh the front her name is erica callahan and she is a friend of our former total dingbat governor matt Bevan and she owns a furniture Gosh. company in lexington which has been shut down so this was her big temper tantrum she wants to her big them. public temper tantrum yeah, yeah. there you
3: go yeah, and, and Trump wants to reopen his hotels and his golf courses and all this kind of stuff. I get it. Zo, thank you for the call. That's fascinating. Thanks for the report from Kentucky. Tom Harbin here with you. So what is being done here in the United States? This is pretty remarkable. Angela Merkel in Germany is talking about slowly reopening parts of Germany. Now, how can she pull that off? How do you reopen an economy when, you know, there's a, there's a deadly virus floating around? Well, it turns out that you do it through contact tracing and testing. Well, yeah, I guess the first step would be testing. You have to test people, not just who are symptomatic. You have to test everybody. And you don't just test them for an active infection. You test them for antibodies to find out if they've had an infection in the past and therefore might be more immune to the disease It might actually be an appropriate person to be staffing, you know, to to be working in a restaurant or in a factory or whatever it may be, because, hey, they're not going to catch the virus from somebody sitting next to them because they've already had it. Well, Germany has been doing this for months. Germany was the first and most aggressive nation in Europe. It was January 6th, I believe, when the World Health Organization released well, when China released the genome of the coronavirus, the World Health Organization certified it and certified the standards for lab tests. Within a week or so, a German company had come up with a test that the World Health Organization certified and said that they would underwrite shipping to 60 different poor countries. And by the way, if any rich countries wanted it, they were available. This was the first weeks of January. Donald Trump was like, "No, no, no, no. Everything's good. We're good." We don't need that. The New York Times, by the way, reporting that had Trump shut down the country two weeks earlier than California and New York did, and they didn't shut down the country, they just shut down their states, but had Trump shut down the country two weeks before New York and California did, when it was obvious to public health experts in the United States and around the world that that's what needed to be done, 90 percent of the deaths that have occurred in the United States would not have happened. We have over 30,000 deaths in the United States. We would have 3,000, 27,000 people who are now dead because of Donald Trump's incompetence, would still be alive, according to this New York Times study, had, had the country just shut down two weeks earlier. That's how fast this virus spreads. That's the kind of problem the eight authoritarian follower governors, maybe sociopaths. I mean, I I think this is a question that's worth asking. If a governor like this governor in South Dakota, the, you know, Rachel Maddow's talking about every night, if a governor says, yeah, I know about the science. I read the science. I've heard all about the science, but I'm not going to open my state because we're Republicans and we don't do that. I'm following Donald Trump. I'm putting the economy ahead of people. If a governor says that, or, or her actions say that, does that, is that a good and reliable indicator that that governor is probably a sociopath, a person who is incapable of empathizing with other human beings, who can't relate to people at the level of human to human? An automaton, a person with no conscience and no feeling? Or does it simply indicate that they're stupid? I think in the case of Ron DeSantis and Brian Kemp in Florida and Georgia, I think you can safely say both.
4: You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.